0: Well good evening Grace Church. Good evening. It is great to see everybody tonight. So glad you are here on Grace Church campus. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just give them a big smile, let them know you're glad to see them. Those joining us on Facebook live and live stream, we are so glad that you have chosen to be with us this evening. Why don't we open up this evening with just a, just a word of prayer. Let's, let's invite God's presence in and, and just take a moment. I, I think it's good, especially on Wednesday night, to just kind of bring our thoughts together, kind of shake off the dust of the day, and, and really just tune our hearts and our minds into what God has for us. So can we do that together uh, just right where you're sitting? Just raise your hand, raise your voice. Let's welcome the presence of God here today, tonight. Jesus, we are so thankful. It's another great opportunity to be in your presence, another great opportunity to be with those of like precious faith. And Lord, we know that where two or three are gathered, you're in the midst. And I know that you're going to do some great things here tonight in your spirit, in your presence, in your word. Lord, your word will not return void. And so tonight I want to tune my mind, tune my heart to the frequency on which you're speaking, Lord. And I want to leave changed by the word of God and by the presence of God. Everybody say in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving. And as always, you can give online. You can give on your way out in Grand Central at the, uh, in the offering box. And we just appreciate your faithfulness to, the, uh, to giving to the kingdom of God and to Grace Church. I want to remind all of our parents and our campers that pre-registration has begun online for youth camps. And uh, you know that you're going to go to youth camp in the bitter end. Most everybody, almost all of our kids, are going to go. So go ahead and register now. Don't put it off. Um, and and it, there, there are some there are some limitations they're putting this year. Now I I'm saying that, and I've been to the website, and I can't quite tell you what those limitations are. It's not real clear to me, but it is there. There is a limited amount of space available. I do know that. It's probably not going to be uh, in terms of dorms and those kinds of things. It's not quite as much. Uh, liberty that they have this year as they have in times past. So you, you don't want to put it off is my point. Please go online and register for youth camp. And then this coming weekend, actually starting tomorrow, men's conference. Our, our men, if any of you can be a part of that, either all of it or a part of it, please go to the campgrounds in Tioga and be a part of men's conference. And then finally, this coming Sunday is graduation Sunday. We're looking forward to honoring all of our graduates um, I saw the list before church. We have quite a few that are graduating in this graduation cycle, and we're just proud of our graduates, and we're, we want to celebrate with you. So if you have not yet let us know, please do, uh, really, by tonight. I mean, we need to, we need to have, have your name, if, if you haven't already, given it to the church office by tonight. So let us know that. God bless you. God bless you. It is good to be in the house of the Lord, as I've said, and I've, I've meditated today some. I was on, on the road doing a lot of driving today and i just had an opportunity to to really think about the love of god today and that's a that's a topic you've probably heard me mention several times a lot of times i return to it but i'm i'm still overwhelmed by the love of god i'm i'm not i'm not tired of that subject and i'm i'm i guess you could say i wake up every day in awe and overwhelmed by the love of god and especially psalm chapter 103 that talks about his loving kindness and that he remembers that we are dust. He remembers that we're just his creation and he deals with us as a father would with his child in such a loving way. I'm thankful for that tonight. I really am and I know you are too. So as pastor comes to teach the word of God tonight, would you just clap your hands to Jesus and thank him for his love. God bless you, Grace Church.
1: Thank you, Brother Dave. And we are very proud of our graduates and uh, we We'll be celebrating that uh, as Brother Dave announced, but while he was announcing that, I had an idea that I'd like to share with all of our future graduates that uh, just drop a little idea in your head and see what you think about it. I think it's an amazing idea uh, that when you send out your graduation announcements, just at the very bottom in kind of large, bold print, just say, no gift necessary. Isn't that a brilliant, that is just a brilliant idea. Because we all know the reason they send announcements. They don't really care if you know they're graduating or not. They're gonna graduate whether you know it or not. The only reason they send that announcement is they want that check. And uh, and then if you'd like, uh, when you have your graduation parties, that uh, you know that big crawfish boil or whatever, just invite the whole church. <laughs> and uh, let everybody share in it, and no gift required. Just come and share and. We'll see how many bites on that right so uh it's great to see you thank you for being here tonight on wednesday night and uh it's always wonderful to have you folks in the house of the lord and uh i mean that with all of my heart and i just noticed on my ipad my battery's down to like three percent so if i teach for five minutes and quit you'll know what the problem is so you're laughing hoping that's the truth aren't you it's not true so There is a three, but it's got another number behind it, so we're in good shape for tonight. Sorry about that, and uh, got your hopes up kind of for nothing, so (laughs) y'all should know by now, right? So anyway, well, let's go to the word of the Lord. I'm excited about this material to share with you tonight, and uh, hopefully we can all grow just a little bit more in our relationship with Jesus tonight as a result of it. Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 and 22 And then I'll read from Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles and would like to follow along, Joshua 4, 21, and then Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? These are the stones they took out of the Jordan River when they crossed. You remember that? And they took stones off the land and put them back in the river. Well, when they see the ones they took out of the river and put them on the bank, when your children ask what mean these stones, there had to be something different about those stones. Maybe it was the way they were stacked up, uh, maybe it was their size, maybe it was their shape. I don't know what it was, but there was something had to be different about them that a child would notice those stones in particular and say, what does this mean? There had to be something that would attract them to that. He said in verse 22, Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, the apostle said, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. My title tonight is very simple, but I want to talk to you for a little while about stones to build on. And I know a lot of you have, have shared with me in times past, the most recent would be Kelly. Uh, she talked to me several weeks ago about uh, their children wanting to be baptized. We've had this conversation in the past. And parents have come to me on numerous occasions, obviously, and said, hey, my child would like to be baptized. Um, what do you think? And, and I lean heavily on parental approval. Uh, You live with your child and know them far more than I do. And my first question is always, do they understand? Never want to baptize a child just because of the novelty of it. We want them to understand the purpose and, and what have you. But I do believe there's things about the church that will cause a certain curiosity in our kids. And I believe it's important. It is absolutely essential that parents have an answer to those questions, whatever they may be. Why do people clap their hands? Why do people raise their hands in church? Why do people give them the offering? Why do people uh, do whatever they do? We should, as moms and dads, have a biblical answer, not a traditional answer, because tradition can change, but a biblical answer on why we do what we do. We know that anything that is solid, that's going to last, has to have some degree of foundation under it. A foundation is the basis upon which something stands or is supported. It's an underlying prepared support, the whole substructure of a building. This building is built upon a foundation, it's something laid down or constructed to serve as a base. And this is an important note for us to consider tonight, the foundation doesn't change or move just because the building is renovated or added on to. The foundation stays the same. Of all the things we've done to this building, this this slab has stayed exactly the same as when it was first uh, laid for the, the construction of the building. I will have you also note with me tonight on the outset of this study that when the writer said, when your children ask, what mean these stones, I'd have you notice that the stones were relatively small. They were carried out of the Jordan River and put on the bank. I don't imagine they were boulders that would take a number of men or some kind of machinery, at least of those days, to get them out. So I imagine they were fairly small, but they were heavy enough to stay in that spot. They didn't move. They were put there for a purpose, but the folks putting them there knew that this would be for future generations to look at, so they were not necessarily large, but they were heavy enough to stay put. So it's not their size, but it's their weight that's important. The application to us is how much does what we do here at church, the things we believe and so on. How much does that influence our life? It may not be a big thing every day, every day, every day, but it should be heavy enough in us that it never leaves. So it's not their size, it's the weight that was important. Some people think that the issues we will discuss tonight are small, and we know that, Pastor, but the apostles laid down weighty stones that hold up the kingdom of God on this earth. And when you take those stones away, the kingdom collapses. The structure becomes something else when you take the foundation out from underneath it. We all know, um, if you're sensitive enough at all to at least apostolic faith, apostolic doctrine, etc., that there are a number of preachers and saints... Over the past, even recent years, that's taken out the foundation of what they once believed. So there's a structure there, but it's not as strong. It's not as lasting. Um, It's lost its identity. My point tonight is we cannot remove, we cannot remove not one of the foundation stones that the Bible has established that the kingdom of God, especially the church, is built on. We can't take any away. We can't afford to take any away. There's four foundation stones, if you will, that I'll be talking about tonight and, and at least one tonight and maybe even more in the future. But first of all, there's oneness. And there's six parts to that that I'm going to attempt to cover tonight. But then there's salvation. There's, there's foundational things under what we believe as far as salvation goes. The Bible teaches stewardship. Tithing and giving, accountability, faithfulness, those kinds of things. You can't take that away. The Bible is very firm on these points. A worship is a foundation stone. If we didn't have our worship, who would we be? What would church even be like? What would our relationship with God be like if you took worship out of the equation? So I want to begin tonight just to say that we must build on First of all, we must build on oneness. Everybody say oneness. All of, we, all of us here tonight that truly are apostolic, we're going to default to the oneness of God. I'm going to come to that in a minute, but I want to begin tonight with oneness, and there's six facets of it that I will talk about tonight. It's essential that it remains intact for the present day and future day of the church. The writer of Ephesians said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, that there is one body, one, one body, one body of Christ, and one spirit. Even as you are called in one hope of your calling, you see oneness is all in just this one verse. The number, the, the, the word one is mentioned here at least three times. You have, there's one body, one spirit, and, and there's one hope. And then he said, there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There's one God who is above all and through all and in you all. So I believe tonight with this focus and context on the oneness, I believe there's six facets of oneness that we will attempt to talk about here tonight. And from Proverbs chapter 6, this won't be on the screen, But in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, the Bible said, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among the brethren. I just want to say in passing tonight that under this umbrella of six things the Lord hates, two have to do with lying. First of all, just straight out lying, just telling things that are not true. And then he that speaks as a false witness against someone else. uh, God hates that. It's an abomination unto him. And then people that shed innocent blood. And uh, there's a very hot topic in our society I believe that this can certainly relate to and I believe that the the trends of our culture even with church people have become more important than even what the Bible says in some cases but um I believe there's a little bitty baby lives that need to be left alone and people that shed innocent blood like that um I believe they're going to have something to say to God about that. But my focus here tonight is verse 19 when he said that he that sows discard among the brethren. We want to be oneness and unity at Grace Church. There needs to be oneness in the body of Christ worldwide as far as that goes. Citywide, statewide, countrywide, uh, worldwide. They're, they're God wants unity in the body. But discord is a lack of agreement. Discord means a lack of agreement or harmony. It's disunity, it's dissension, it's conflict, it's opposition, it's quarreling, it's antagonism. That's what discord means. The Bible said that God hates people who or, or hates the attitude and disposition of people who sows discord among the people of God. He hates that. Jesus said his last prayer request in John 17 that they all may be one he prayed that they could be one in purpose and so on. So the first part of oneness that I want to talk about tonight is the Bible teaching that there's one body again this verse of scripture that I just read in John this is Jesus final prayer request and It is the only prayer that the church can answer. We ask God to answer our prayers, but this is a prayer that Jesus prayed that only we could answer being a part of the church. He prayed that there would be unity in the church, in the body of Christ. The church's greatest power lies in unity. What about prayer? Prayer. Prayer is not as powerful as unified prayer. What about worship? Worship is not as powerful as unified worship. And you could take that and go on and on. We all know here tonight that at the Tower of Babel, absolute unity. And the Bible is very clear with this. Absolute unity made nothing impossible to humanity. Even God said that. Whatever they have purposed in their mind, they'll do it. So how much more is this true when God's favor rests on his own people? When we are unified in the body of Christ. Notice with me here tonight, unity does not mean uniformity. Bricks are uniform. The Egyptians had The children of Israel make bricks, and there's an implication to that. I I thought about it today in reference to Brother Ben's amazing sermon this past Sunday. If you were not here and have not heard that, it would be worthwhile to go back and listen to that or watch that. But it didn't matter who you were as a Jew in Egypt during their time of bondage. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter what your relationship was in your family. You could be the daddy and the hub around which your family revolves. But to the Egyptian people, and when you wake up every morning, you're still a slave. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter how old or young you were. It didn't matter what your talents were, what your giftings were. It didn't matter what you could produce, how much of it you could produce. None of that mattered. To Egyptians, you were an expendable slave. That's the brick concept. Everybody looked the same. Everybody had the same identity. This is not what the Bible teaches and, and <laughs> God help me here tonight but uh, I grew up in a time in, in, in Pentecost where we took holiness and we wanted to take that concept of holiness and shove everybody into the same hole and say this is what you have to look like, be like, dress like, act like, talk like, everything. I didn't mean to uh drop such a powerful bomb here tonight <clears throat> but i have seen some mighty 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 powerful people in their relationship with jesus who were new converts that didn't have all the holiness stuff down pat that's accomplished far more for jesus and his kingdom on this planet than old seasoned saints who were bitter and discontented but lived the perfect holy life anybody feel me Now, I'm not submitting here tonight that we need to stay as new converts for all of our Christian life. And we should grow in our relationship with God, etc. But I don't believe that God intended for every Christian person to be exactly the same in every way. There needs to be unity in the church. But that doesn't mean uniformity. Bricks are uniform. Stones are unique. They're all different. They serve the same purpose, but they're all different. And so Peter said in his epistle, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Every member of the body of Christ is not the same. They're not the same shape, but all fitly joined together by the master craftsman, who is the chief cornerstone, Jesus himself. Jesus prayed his prayer for unity in the presence of his bickering, prestige-seeking disciples. While they were thinking about position in the kingdom, he was thinking about unity. And if you people would just get on board and quit worrying about position and influence and clout and who you are and what this is all about and understand what it's really all about and just unify with my purpose. Your impact will go worldwide. You won't have to worry about influence if your attitude's right. You'll impact the right people at the right time if you have the right attitude. So Jesus, he, his prayer for unity was prayed in the presence of his bickering, prestige-seeking disciples. So how must they have felt? How should we feel if we are not honoring his request for unity? You you can't believe in one God unless you honor His body because there's one body of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, For by one spirit, one, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all made to drink into one spirit. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, For through Him, We both have access by one spirit. There's a oneness, a unity that needs to be in the body of Christ. So Paul mentioned one spirit, so let's talk about that. I understand tonight, and so do you, that there's different styles, different tastes, and different preferences in the body. And and all of that's fine. There's no two churches alike. There's There's no two saints alike. There's no two churches alike. I believe God designed it that way. There are legitimate stones that help make up the foundation of the kingdom, but we're all different. Nobody is shaped exactly alike. No church is exactly like. We get that point. We have a hard time understanding it because we sometimes want to judge that if your church ain't shaped like our church, then you must be wrong. But what the Bible emphasizes is that the, the body is one, the, the church body is one. It should be one body, and there should be one spirit in that body. So there can be different styles, different tastes, different preferences in the body, but there's still one spirit. It is God's spirit. And I do not have a right to impose my spirit, my attitude, my perspective. My bent on the church. Our attitude needs to comply with the teaching of the Word of God. (laughs) Y'all are looking at me. I didn't come to church for this tonight, or a pastor. (laughs) Well, God's Spirit is the most powerful force in the universe. But he has made his will and desires subject to the will and desires of man where the church is concerned. He's, I love the old fable when Jesus ascended after the, 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 the crucifixion and resurrection and what not. The, the, the angels ask him, well Jesus what are you going to do if your plan doesn't work? He said I have no other plan. He put his plan in the hands of men. And he has no other plan. If, if man don't do it, then it's not going to get done. But God knew that every man, every preacher, every teacher, every apostle, everybody, everybody's going to have do it a little bit different. But as long as it gets people into the kingdom where they belong, then God's happy with that. And that's where we need to maybe not judge so harshly sometimes. But bottom line, the spirit that needs to be in the church, that must be in the church, is the spirit. The attitude, the disposition, the perspective of Christ. And that's what we take on when we become a child of God. We take on his demeanor. We are Christians, Christ-like. Is that Sister Dean sitting back there? I think I heard her voice. It is great to see you. It's been a long time. She's been through a lot of things. And it's great to see you tonight. It's good to see you. I heard her voice. The psalmist said in Psalm 78, verse 61, "...and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands." So God puts his will and purpose in the hands of man. And this is where God has issues sometimes with his will versus our will. I'll illustrate it this way. When a father wrestles with his child, he doesn't hurt the child. He doesn't cripple the child. But he just restrains his strength. have a what I think is a hilarious story. I used to really enjoy wrestling with my son Marcus. We we did it a lot growing up. Just get in the middle of the living room floor and wrestle, and I'd always challenge him. You know, you gotta take your daddy down, take your daddy down. Well he was never big enough, he's never strong enough. Until he turned about seventeen years old. We had a little above ground swimming pool in our backyard, and he and I were in it, and I picked a fight with him and we were wrestling, and just like that, he baptized me in that pool. And I said, okay, I ain't fighting with you no more. I mean, <laughs> once you know you can take pop down, it's, the games are over here now. But I convinced him it was just a fluke, boy. You'll never do that again. And he hasn't. I think I've still got him convinced, and I can still take him down if I wanted to. I think I've got him convinced of it, I'm pretty sure. But when we would wrestle, the point is, is I, I never wanted to hurt him. I wanted to restrain his strength to know that I wanted him to know that I was still the most powerful. And and when we have an attitude or a bent that's against God or against the word of God, he will oftentimes, his, his spirit will wrestle with us, not to hurt us, but to show that his will and his way is more powerful and it's the right way. And I think we sometimes misjudge God when we have those moments with him. Our strength is made into weakness. Remember when Paul said that when you're weak is when you're strong? It's because you're submitted. It's because you're in submission to the will and purpose of God. I hope everybody hears this right now. He wrestles with us and kind of puts us on the floor, flat on our back, and says now, Give me the magic password, and I'll let you up. He don't say that, but hope you get the point. You do what I want you to do, and I'll let you up. And if you'll do what I want you to do, I'll make you the most powerful person there is because I'll back you up in everything that you do. So sometimes he makes our strength look like weakness. So we'll take on his will and purpose in our life and do what he wants us to do. We all need to understand tonight that the world will believe in him when they can believe in us. And if they don't see Jesus in us, if they don't see the spirit of God in us, then they're not going to believe in God. Um, disunity. We know this. We A lot of you know this from the history of other churches and, and, and people and all of that. But disunity cost us our credibility in our culture and our society because the world already sees a lot of that. Our Cities are not lost because the devil's power is greater than God's. It's because we expend our energies on self-promotion instead of self-sacrifice and we cannot pray thy kingdom come until we pray my kingdom go. Servanthood, submission is the true spirit of Christianity. It is. Jesus became a servant and submitted to the cross. He did. He had to submit. He asked, do I have to do this? But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He submitted to that. Is it fun? Is it amazing? Is it glorious? No. But Jesus prayed that night in the garden as much as he prayed thy kingdom have come. He said, I want my kingdom to go as well. Servanthood is the true spirit of Christianity and it is a magnet that attracts people. But that magnet has an opposite pole that repels I'll submit to you tonight that temptation has killed its thousands, but disunity in the church has killed its ten thousands. Yes, it has. And babies die easiest in a fight. No one has ever left the church because of God. They haven't. God's reputation can be ruined because of his children. So can you overlook your personal preferences so that the God's kingdom can, can go forward? So that God's kingdom can move forward. Paul said in Romans that thou makest thy boast of the law. Through breaking the law thou thy God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. He said through the church. Gandhi said I would have become a Christian. If it were not for observing Christians. It's interesting to me that in the New Testament, tithes is mentioned 24 times. Offerings is mentioned 265 times. Fasting is mentioned over 100 times. Prayer is mentioned over 100 times. But together is mentioned 484 times. God wants unity in the church. He wants unity in his body. And he wants us to understand there's one spirit. There's one spirit. It's important, folks, that we have the spirit of Christ not just in our church, but in our heart. The third thing, and I'll, I'll stop with this point tonight. I'll not have time to go through all six. But there's one hope. There's one hope. Um, all day today, I've had the song that our worship team sings. It's a prayer to God, a thanksgiving to God. Everyone say it. That says, you keep hope alive. Hope in the morning, hope in the evening. You keep hope alive. He does that. Paul said, "If we had only hope in this life, we'd be of all men. If, if we knew that everything just stopped right here, we'd be of all men most miserable." But there's a hope beyond this life, beyond this world. Hope is to is to desire with expectation of fulfillment. That's what hope means. It's to desire with expectation of fulfillment. The assurance that what one longs for will happen trust or reliance and as as pastor particularly as pastor hope is one of my anchors it 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 always has been I always hope that things are going to be better that the church is going to be better that people are going to be better I have a lot of hope here tonight and folks at Grace Church that where so many have done well, you hope that they can do even better. Has it's hope, hope. It's, a, it's an anchor. Paul said, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you've heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. What if heaven didn't exist? What if there was not that promise? What if there was not that anchor that we can hold on to? What if. What if heaven wasn't real? What if it was never mentioned? What if it was real, but God didn't bother to tell anybody about it? I believe heaven does exist, and I plan to be there one day. I go through moments, and I stagger at moments in my own personal ability to stay right with God for five minutes long enough that if the rapture took place, I might go in it. I didn't hear from Sister Murphy yesterday for about three or four hours. I didn't hear from Casey in about three or four hours. And I started to get worried. Surely something would pop up on the phone that millions of people are missing. But I believe in that heavenly place. And I believe that's the great hope of the child of God. And I want to say to everybody here tonight, and I, I know everybody knows this. But if you miss out on it, the options aren't good. And I believe in that too. I believe hell is still hot. It's a pit of fire. It's going to be horrible. And it's not just the fire. It's the people you're there with. Ain't nobody in hell going to be happy. Ever. For any reason. They're going to hate God. They're going to hate themselves. They're going to hate everybody that's there. I have hope tonight. One of these days, we're all going to be rejoicing on the other side. The Bible said, To whom God would make known what is the riches of His glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which Christ in you is the hope of glory. Titus three seven That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The Bible said, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing, of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews said, which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. We have hope. I love the songwriter that wrote, I have hope when trouble comes my way. Doesn't matter what happened, my hope tonight, no matter what I hope for here, there's a greater hope that's somewhere else. No matter how bad things get here on earth, Christian people have a hope beyond this life. It is an anchor when things get stormy. Last year, through all of that stuff, I still had hope. I don't want to sound morbid, neither do I want to sound like a hero, but if I were to get COVID, and I did, if I got it and died, I'd be the winner. I would. Heaven is a real place. But it is not in the least like this place. The best way to describe heaven is by contrast to earth. No more night, no more curse, no more death, no more tears or pain. Elder G.T. Haywood wrote the New Jerusalem's walls, according to his research, are 212 feet thick and 1,500 miles high. The city would reach all the way from Maine to Florida and from the Atlantic Ocean to the state of Colorado. If the main avenues were a mile apart and a mile above one another, there would be no less than 8 million avenues in heaven. If heaven contained rooms, each one of them one mile cube, it would contain 3,375,000,000 of them. If we started with the time of Adam and spent one hour in each room, we would by now have visited less than a quarter of the rooms in heaven. So let me submit to you tonight that atheism teaches that there is no God and thus no heaven. That's not hope. Reincarnation teaches us that our life will be recycled Into some higher or lower form of existence the next time around on this planet, that's not hope. Mormonism teaches that if we will live, that teaches us that we live forever as gods with hundreds of spirit wives. (laughs) If you're a man tonight, that's not hope. (laughs) Sorry, ladies. Seeing Jesus face to face someday is my reason to keep running this Christian race. John said in his epistle that we're going to see him as he is. What a day. What are you going to do? Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever tried to get some thought or something in your head that says, well, when I see him face to face, this is what I'm going to do. I don't believe any of us have a clue. We're going to be mystified, and it's going to be a very amazing moment. But under this massive umbrella of oneness, there has to be oneness in the body. There has to be oneness in our spirit that all connects back with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And I can't accentuate that hard enough. And then our hearts tonight is one hope, one hope if you're hoping for something else maybe you're in the wrong place if you believe in a different kind of eternity maybe you're in the wrong place because this church teaches that our ultimate hope is to be in heaven with the lord jesus christ one day that's where we're headed that's what we're trying to achieve here tonight and i've said it many times and i'll say it again but heaven's going to be cheap at any price people say well it just you know there's too much into this church stuff and can and can't do this and can can't do that and all that. Look, I'm convinced tonight if God wanted me to stand on my head and gargle peanut butter and stack greasy BBs, I'd give it my best shot if that's what it took to go to heaven because it'd be worth it. Y'all try not to get a mental image of that. But I would certainly be willing to give it a shot. I want to go to heaven, how about you? Amen. Thank the Lord. Stand with me tonight. Great having you all here tonight. And uh, if you're sowing discard, stop it. If you're lying, stop it. If you have a bent-out-of-shape attitude, have a good pray-through experience over it and, and submit yourself back to the will of God. And if you do that, then heaven can become your hope again. Amen. Everybody said amen. Walk around in fellowship with somebody if you feel comfortable to do that. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you this coming Sunday back in the house of the Lord. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.